Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris, and today I am joined by Mr. Vince Tickle. Uh, Vince and I first met, I think, around about three and a half, four years ago. Uh, and actually, when I left the UK, um, he was one of the few people that I was actually really upset that I hadn't spent more time with uh, in getting to know him. Uh, he moved over whilst I was uh, a Vistage chair. He'd been involved in, I suppose, Vistage's biggest competitor in the UK, which was uh, um, uh, at the time. Uh, and he'd been uh, with them. Uh, and Vistage acquired the organisation, came on board as a chair, and we ended up being in the same group, of which I'm very, very grateful for. And the thing that I love about Vince, and and we're going to explore this, is that, uh, and there's similarities with me, is that it's the the need to be involved in lots of things, in wearing lots of different hats, um, and also the his inquisitive nature. And I think sometimes his articulation is far greater than mine. Uh, and I'm just really interested, as always, to see where this unscripted, unprompted conversation will go. Hello, Vince. Hi, Adam. Thanks for inviting me along. Cool. Um, let's start off with uh, with that aspect of the fact that uh, you are probably very similar to me, um, where you're just involved in lots of stuff. Um, what's What's the need for you to be involved in lots of things? Um, where's that kind of thirst come from uh, and what are the things that, you know, give us a bit of background as to what you're currently doing. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I guess it was born out of my first jobs that I had. I, I originally, when I came into the world of work, uh, went into marketing. And so I always thought that was a great place to be because it seemed very exciting. And <clears throat> I got used to doing lots of different things when you're running a brand, a big brand, where you've got TV advertising and radio and PR and all those things. And when I got to the very senior and old age of 25, I set my first business up. And um, what I particularly liked was the ability to work on different projects for different brands in different markets. So in the morning, I might be doing something to do with automotive, and then in the afternoon, I was doing something on whiskey. And so I just loved the the stimulation of moving from one market to another um, and not being stuck dealing with one thing all the time. So I think within that created a, uh, the ability to move from one project to another. And I'm, I'm, I'm more of a great initiator starter, but I need people around me to complete things. So I think of myself a bit like a comet going through space. So there's a lot of debris that goes around me and I need people who were brilliant at actually mopping those things up. Because a, a lot of people really struggle with that aspect of, uh, of, of decompartmentalizing and being involved in a lot of stuff. But, you know, I'm sure you're like me, is that actually that's where I get the energy from? Yeah, I think people are wired in different ways. Some people, unless it's done to 100% of uh, perfect, they can't move on to the next things. And I have absolute admiration for those people. And the more people like that I can gather around me, brilliant. I probably frustrate the hell out of them. But for me, I like, I'm curious about what, what, what I don't know, going and doing things that I've never done before. So um, I, I find it quite, I, I was doing some a building project with somebody and I, what I was excited about is I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. And then it's actually then trying to find out what you don't know about a market or how something's put together. And, um, so I find that quite interesting. I've done, over my career, I've probably done about 10 startups, uh, many in markets which I've never been in before. Hmm. And it's quite interesting to come in with a sort of inquiring mind of what could be, rather than what is. Um, I don't know about you, but many markets that I go into often are filled with people that came from that market. So company A uh, spawns company B, and it's filled with people that came from company A who do the same thing. And company B, apart from the difference in people, very much looks like company A. Mm. And then company C is born from company B. And, it, and the markets, they, they, they gravitate around each other. I always think it's fascinating to look at a market or an industry that you're in and think about how you could do this in a very different way. So it's exciting to 
rock up to a market which you think might be asleep and think if you could do something quite interesting in it. So, so that's do you, just share with the audience some of the things you're involved with at the moment. Um, so I, my, my background was running marketing agencies. So I had a, a group of five different agencies at one stage, got a bit bored with it after a while, sold ones on. Um, currently at the moment in my portfolio, I've got, I've got some commercial property, so I'm a landlord. Um, fortunately, I've got somebody who does deals with all the, all the problems that come along with that, which is good. <clears throat> but I quite like the development of the building and I'm looking at another building project to build another car park here, which could be interesting. Um, I'm chairman of a packaging business, which I founded about 20 years ago, uh, but I've got somebody else running that and they're doing a really good job and it's, it's being successful. Uh, I invested in a series of other businesses, another one which is in uh, networking, printing and photocopying. It's an industry I know nothing about, but quite interesting again. Um, and I continually get opportunities to invest and be involved in different companies from time to time. I've, I've, I've sort of got a formula for what I choose not choose not to do because if I had endless time, I'd probably do them all. Um, uh, but my yeah, the latest thing I'm working on at the moment, as, as you know, we had a conversation on it, is my son is a, a machine learning AI programmer and he's set his own business up. And so I'm quite enjoying the conversation about where that could go because it's a bit of it's a bit, a bit like the wild west at the moment it's it's hot and it's topical at the moment and the question is what could he build so mm -hmm. i'm spending some time helping him think and shape that uh whilst earning money at the same time which obviously is important for him um, and, and and how is that working with your son it's actually lovely really nice uh, and i know that most people i've you know you're coaching and i, I coach too um and it's it's uh, can family businesses or being involved with family can be uh, traumatic when you bring the dining room table to the boardroom table. Um, but he, I, I, we have a, a stronger relationship, I think, because um, we think differently. But I completely value what he brings. He's a real complete finisher. Mm -hmm. I'm the other side of it. So he'll come and ask. He comes and asks me questions. And so as a father, it's, it's, it, I think it's lovely when somebody, when your kids come and ask you something, particularly when they're in their late 20s. Um, and so it's formed a very different relationship. But I don't think I need to thrust anything on him. It's more a question of um, getting him to think bigger, bolder and broader than maybe he might and just starting to, to think about what he might need to do. But it's, mm. it's, the other thing is let it work at his pace. It's not my pace. It's his business, not mine. Um, um, so I've already got a number of nice and things I want to pick up on. Um, talk to me about the these these opportunities that come about. Do you go looking for them? Um, are you well known for people bringing to them to you, or is there an aspect of right place, right time? Um, I. Over my career, probably two main streams. One is is that when I bumped into somebody who I, I think is very good at what they do, or I've had reports that are exceptional at what they do, but they work inside another organisation, um, invariably I'll reach out to them, have a conversation, cup of tea, cup of coffee, get to know them a little bit. And I'd normally leave them with, if ever you fancy setting up your own business, um, come and have a chat. I said, I can't guarantee that I would necessarily invest in you, but I, but I would be very happy to try and build a business plan with you. And then at the end of building that, you may decide to do it, not do it, or do it, do it your own, or we might do it some together. So I normally leave them with that little nugget in their back pocket. And I would gradually, I keep in contact with them at least once a year, in some mm. shape or form, see how things are going. And invari invariably people come back knocking because you're on the list when they get to that point in their life and time when they want to do that. So that's Fair one on. stream. The other... sorry, uh, sorry, Vince, I just want to pick up on that then. So as you reflect over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, how many people have you taken for coffee and had those conversations? How many of them have then contacted you back? And then how many of them have you engaged with? I'd just love to know the numbers, rough numbers. Probably I've had those conversations with probably about 10 or 15 people. Okay. Like that. 
and I guess that probably five of them have engaged and, and invariably I've done something with them. Um, uh, and and, and what, what for you makes an exceptional an exceptional person? What, what, what are the attributes? What are, you, what are you looking for? Or what are other people looking for for you to then say, hey, Vince, I think you need to go and have a little conversation with this person? I think I, I, that most businesses don't start without somebody who can go out and sell something. So often it will sit in that sales arena more. It's been my, primarily because I've, that's where I tend to meet people that mm -hmm. are trying to sell something either to me or something. And I, you know, in my marketing days when I was running a marketing business, um, uh, if we ever lost a piece of business, I would often go to a client and say, why did we lose it? Find out. And who was the person on the other end and what were they like so i've gone and poached people uh back into my organization because they beat they beat us on a pitch or something and the clients rate them great mm -hmm. great testimonials from clients um but 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 part of when i'm um talking to people i'm looking for somebody who's got drive who's got ambition um who has the ability to be able to articulate and sell what they're actually doing very well that they're an expert in the field that they're in, um, they um, know they don't know it all because sometimes there's some people that just decide they've got the full package and and, and so um, and it's people that I like, people that I think I can get along with um, because you know if you end up working with somebody you spend an awful lot of time with them, so um, uh, working with people that you don't really get along with it wouldn't be top of my list of things to do. That doesn't mean you have to agree all the time, but it means that mm -hmm. you have a degree of honesty in what you're doing. And it's people with a track record that, you know, they've done it before, so they're going out to do it again. Um, we, and they understand the market they're in. I always think that it's really interesting. When you look at people who've sold a business and they get locked out of a market, so they decide that they're gonna go and do something like buy a pub or, or buy a restaurant because they think that they've been to a pub and a restaurant and they think they know how it works. But most markets have rules to them and you mm. only work those rules out over time. But you see many people um, going into those markets and they don't understand the game, don't understand the rules that exist. Uh, but they think they're really good business people because they had a success and they sold a business. So, um, but they're actually quite poor investors. So mm. I think you want to be going into an area you don't understand with people that really understand it. You bring your magic that might be something they haven't seen because you're outside the market, but don't go into it blind. Yeah. Um, and I've, you know, so many successful business people I know, very successful in the market, have, have dropped a clanger in another market so easily. Because is they, that, they... I was going to say, is that is that uh, arrogance? Is it is it ego? I mean, I've noticed, I've been here in New Zealand for, for you know, nearly two years. Um, I was very, very conscious about spending a lot of time just sitting and listening and observing. And whilst yeah. they speak the same language here, culturally, it's massively different. Mm. Um, and I've had to adapt my style and my uh, conversation because otherwise, uh, you know, I'm like a fish out of water. It's just, you know, so is, is, it, is it ego? Um, what, what is it that you think people just kind of go mm. into it? Poor investors. I think... I think it's, I think a number of factors, and I think people are different. I think ego is part of that. Um, but I think um, if you've run a business and then you've sold it and you haven't got any, a friend of mine did this a couple of years ago and he walked away with tens of millions of pounds. He said he was, he, his, only friend, his only friend now was the bank manager because all his playmates are gone because he exited the business. They wanted him out. Yep. And so you could tell that he was itchy to get back into being in the cut and thrust of running a business again. So I think it's a need to be needed again. If you've gone into the office every day, uh, pre-COVID times, uh, or into your living room in COVID times, um, you'll get used to interacting with people and that becomes, you, you lose um, a sense of being and of, of, of contributing and doing stuff. So I think that's part of it. Some of it is arrogance because, um, uh, you know, running a business, setting one up, making it success, building it and taking it all the way to exit is a bit like buying a lottery ticket, but you won. Yeah. So every time you buy a lottery ticket, you're going to win. Uh, so you're pre-programmed to think that you can, you, you're, you're a 
smart and savvy business person and therefore you'll work your way through it and <clears throat> you know you 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 um most many, you know, when in marketing, I used to see very large businesses launch products all the time, and and most of them failed, and it's because they 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 fundamentally forgot to ask a simple, very pithy question at the beginning, of when they did it, and a bit later on in life, um, a bit further down the line, they actually work out what the question was they should have asked. Um, so I think it's a, a multitude of different different factors. Um, but equally, when you see somebody who sells their business, they get locked out for a couple of years and then go back and reset it up again. They often make a success of it again mm -hmm. because they know what they're doing and they do it much quicker. So I think it's, I, I, I think it's, um, we've become blinkered a little bit as to we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a, a very long answer to uh to the, the first aspect, you, you said there was two things that, uh, you know, are, are where these opportunities come from. What, what was the second one? Well, the other one is that when you're known for investing and people know you've got a portfolio and then something comes past their desk, they, there's a tendency to um, come and have a chat and people will make an introduction to you. Or when you've worked successfully on a project with others mm -hmm. and they're in the same, they've got a portfolio as well. They tend to, they, they'll reach out to me as I will reach out to them sometimes if something comes across my desk. So you, you, when you've worked collaboratively with others, they, they, they look out for opportunities and they want to, want to really work with you. So I've got, you know, maybe three or four people that I've worked with before. We made successes of the things we work well together. And so there's a, a desire to work together again in some shape or form. So anything comes along, we would share those opportunities. Um, you, you mentioned earlier this aspect of having uh, having a formula for the organisations or the individuals that you're would uh, prepared to work with. Do, do you mind just sharing uh, some aspects of that formula? No, not at all. So, I mean, normally I create a bit of a list. So, um, um, only work with people that I actually like um, would be the top of it. Work with people who. Um, I think uh, you know nine or ten out of tens in what they do, so they need to be um, experienced and good at what they do. Uh, I'm not prepared to travel um, long distances to turn up to board meetings. Um, I, I'm quite you know the business I invest in. I'm very happy to be, you know, sometimes a supplier of cash and input to it, but I'm not going to work 24/7 on the business. I want that's their role in what they're actually doing. Um, I like interesting markets, mm -hmm. so ones where I think are in growth. So looking for places where, you know, if you're going to pitch your tent, you might as well pitch it in a nice warm place where the sun's shining. Um, uh, in my, in my world, um, so I would look for things like that. I I I I'm quite happy to invest and put money in, but I I'm not going to throw the kitchen sink in my house into it. So there'll be limits to what I put in there. Um, I often will invest in them if we've built a business plan together because the, the process of building a business plan tells you how, how well you might work together. Mm -hmm. um, and I work with people who can take feedback um, well. So I mean, one of the businesses that I invested in, one of the criteria was the person that was leading the startup of it. I said that I don't know whether you're going to ultimately be the MD of this business, even as if you might be the major shareholder. Yeah, is that is that a problem? Because um, I didn't think I thought they would be great starter, but I didn't know whether the business would develop into one where they would be able to lead it. Because I just didn't know if they had those skill sets, and I was I had some concerns whether they did, and I was right. And and we had that conversation, and that that changed. Um, but we had it right at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. There's a series of different things that that I would look for in it. Um, when I'm thinking of investing in it, um, that is my little checklist. And have you ever gone against your checklist? And if so, how did it go? Um, <clears throat> I've gone against it in before I had a checklist, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I invested in a recruitment business many years ago. And because I quite fancy, I don't know why I did at the time, I thought it would, actually, I'll tell you why it was. I had a marketing group 
and the marketing group, um, my the biggest thing about running a business in that sector was about talent management and getting good people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of good people were based in London. And some of my businesses were outside of London, and, and so we struggled a bit sometimes to recruit. So the idea of having a recruitment business in the middle of it meant that we might get the pick of some talent. Um, but what I did incorrectly was I picked somebody who was very good, but she was too junior for what mm-hmm. I needed. I needed somebody more senior than what. So we set a business up. It actually, it made money and it was okay, but it was just too small mm. for what I was used to. So it was only doing three or four hundred k after a couple of years, and it was taking up too much of my time because it. And I couldn't. It was one of those businesses that I would have had to replace her, and if I replaced her, it meant the whole thing didn't really work. So in the end, I I decided to mothball it. Yeah. And so it was. It was it was a good lesson to me to make some, I've got somebody who's senior enough and hungry enough to actually make it happen. So it's interesting hearing you speak in the fact that, um, you know, uh, my, my business is called Frank and Fearless in the fact that actually you've just made it part of your everyday life is that you're having Frank and Fearless conversations with people right at the start to challenge their thought process to set the expectations, uh, to kind of almost go through this formula that you've got to to establish uh, with the individuals um, that they're going to fit and they're going you're going to be able to work with them. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, I think that as you get older, you learn that sometimes the the these conversations need to happen right at the very beginning of a relationship. Because if it ain't going to work, um, it's the, the telltale signs are very early on in that process for both people. And, you know, you, you, you get the typical startup, isn't it? A bunch of mates down a pub. <clears throat> they set a business up together. And they're a bit like a band of, 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 of like a family, for want of a better word, because they're uh, boozing buddies or however it works. And, and then they find about three or four years later, they absolutely hate each other. <laughs> Because they 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 missed the signals, mm-hmm. um, and to some degree, my you know my why why how have I learned that? I learned it because the first business I set up was in partnership with somebody else, who was a brilliant marketeer but a complete lunatic, um, and great um, down the pub, uh, great in a meeting from time to time. But running a business with them was like having a raging bull uh, running around in it, and it was a great lesson to me that I, I, I did it knowing what I was getting into, but, but I, I should have called stumps on that a lot earlier than I did. Uh, do, you, do you feel, though, that that experience kind of set you up and almost showed you the light on how and how to what to yeah. do? And I suppose, um, in some ways, that was that probably the start of your blueprint of your formula? Yeah, I think it was, actually. It's... It's interesting, isn't it? Failure is, a, is such a great teacher. Um, success is really poor at that. That's how we learn to stand up, by falling down. And yeah. we watch our parents and, and we learn things. And so when things go wrong, um, disappointed as we can be, they're great learning places. And, and my co-director, who was a um, uh, very, very difficult individual to deal with, used to give me some very direct feedback most of it was about him, but some of it was true. Um, and so it was quite interesting being in a, in a, a very, very um, high intensity environment where it was quite combative, uh, particularly towards the end. Um, but you learn, actually, I'll, I'll put up with some of that because some of that grit in the oyster is good, but you don't need it all day, every day. Yep. Um, similar, similar story to me in the fact uh, I remember distinctly in two former businesses of mine um my wife saying to me i told you you should have left 18 months ago um and and sometimes you've just got to you know kind of ride the storm i just want to pick up on um this aspect of uh of failure um or not succeeding as i often like to frame it um how 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 have you encouraged it within the in the organization so you you say um, you know, a lot of my biggest learnings came from failures. A lot of people say that. How, how 
How do you uh, allow for that to happen with the organisations that you've uh, that you've had over the years? Um, I, I, part of it is is by um, unpacking the. I don't call them failures. I just call them breakages. Um, you know, and so th things break from time to time for all sorts of reasons, and and it's getting people to actually just look at how things have happened. So the best way I try and do it is is talk about my own cock-ups, the things that I've done wrong. Um, and I'd normally do it with good sense of humour in it. I mean, one of the stock, when people join the businesses that I do, uh, and they'll all, they'll all tell you the same, I say to them, just so you understand, yeah, when you work with me, you're only going to get half the information and half of it's going to be wrong that you do get. And so part of it is actually getting people to understand that the that, that, that life is messy, it's mm -hmm. not clear. And if something doesn't work, then actually you've got to do something different to try and make it work. Because um, I came from a marketing background and I was sort of, I did science degree at university. Um, I was always used to, you know, method, test, conclusion. So you kept testing things. Marketing was always about testing different things to see what worked. Yeah. And so trying to get it right first time never, invariably never worked. So particularly when you were launching a new product, so you were always trying to work out, you know, is it the price? Is the product taste okay? Have you got the right distribution? So when it's not quite flowing as you want it to flow, you're then looking for what have you missed? Um, what can you come back to? So when, you know, we, I mean, I had one of, I remember, so uh, one of the guys, we had, one of the business I ran, one of these guys, sales guys, had picked up a big opportunity. And just so you know, if we if we won this opportunity, it had doubled the size of the agency overnight. And there was no chance we were going to win it, in my view, because we just didn't we didn't look like the type of business that would have been able to cope with this particular client. So I questioned the sales guy about what he thought he could get out of it, and he just couldn't let this thing go. And I said, Well, fine, just go for it. And so he spent, uh, a, you know, probably six to eight weeks working on his socks off to get it, only to be fine. The, the final hurdle, we got ejected out and it was death down to the last two and we weren't in it. And so I said to him, look, I said, look, I'm really glad you did that because you've learned something a little bit. And you've got a, some of the clients, we get the clients we deserve because we've, we've got what they need. And sometimes we don't have it. And being sometimes brave is to, is as a salesperson is to not go after everything and be more focused on something mm. so and i think he got that but i had to let him go and have a try yeah because he might prove me wrong i guess um but it but but let pe let people fail sometimes is actually or let people not succeed in your world just to learn what what have i learned from this and getting people to reflect on what the learnings are so as a leader, what what are two, three, four words that other people describe you as? They probably sounds quite calm in a crisis. Mm -hmm. um, a sense of humour. So even in the darkest hours, I can normally come out with something that's quite funny. Yep. Um, uh, can be quite driven when I've got the bit between my teeth and where I want to get get to, um, and collaborative I think as well I try and um, herd people in in a direction where they feel comfortable to go rather than feel as if they've been pushed hmm. um you, you've you've mentioned a couple of times on this so far around this aspect and the importance of people um you know starting the recruitment company because you felt that there was a gap there it's hmm. very clear with this aspect of almost planting and sowing the seeds with regards to speaking to 15 exceptional individuals that are nine or tens out of 10 um, to plant the seed for them as to look as and when, and if you're ready, let's have a conversation. Um, from a wider perspective, um, how, a couple of questions really, how do you find great people? And then how do you keep them, manage them and lead and motivate them? You know, I, I really would love your thoughts on that. Um, I think I think finding them is actually um, a process of 
always being curious as to pe what people, other people see in others. Um, normally, if you go into an organisation you, and you say, who are the strong A players in this business? And normally, they'll, if, you know, if you've got 20 or 30 people, they'll give you two or three names the people that are getting it. And then you say, who, who, who is the best person? If you were setting a business up, who would you do it with? And they, they, they'd, often, they'd often give you a name. And most people give you the same name because they, people can see people who've sort of got it. Mm -hmm. got, they've got a way about them. And so often the way in which I will find those people or have found those people is by asking questions. So as an example, if I'm interviewing somebody and within... 15 or 20 minutes, I realise that that person is not really going to be fit the profile of what we want. I then go into headhunting mode and I say, give me an example of somebody in your organisation that you admire greatly and why. So I go and find a name. So who is this person? What do they do that makes you think they're exceptional? And what have you learned from them? And what would clients say about them? What other people say about them? So I often come back with a name. Um, because I go looking for that. And if I, when I was tr traditionally with clients or, um, or you know, as an example, I, I was with an accountant yeah, the, the, a couple of weeks ago and I said, what business sectors are the ones that are really booming and who do you really know in them that you think is outstanding in what they do? So you start to get, you just build up a little, little report, uh, way of asking questions to find out what other people see in others. Because we live in our own bubble, in it, and our own bubble is very limited. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 one method of of trying to um, narrow down people that you think might be worth being in your network. And then, how do you um, lead and motivate them? Well, firstly, if they've never run their own business, but they've always wanted to, then you become a little mini VC. You said, "Look, I'll pump the cash in." Typically, I will give them, uh, I'll, I'll match their salary, but I'll, there'll be some pain in there. They won't get a bonus until they've made X amount in what they're doing. So I set a business plan up with them. Yeah. Um, I will give them shares um, and I, the shares need to be sufficient enough that if they walked away, it would be very painful for them. Um, you want it to be meaningful for them. Um, often I will um, ensure that they're the type of people that want to keep learning, so I'll put them into another a Vistage group. So I will I'll give them some a coach or other people that be, sit around them um, that can help them grow as individuals. Um, and a lot of it is about listening and talking to them, making sure that we have regular one-to-ones, which is their time yeah. to have a conversation with me. Um, and I think it was quite important, that particularly if I set the business up with somebody and I want their leading the business, is to make sure that they feel as if we're partners and we're collaborating, but that I'm not standing over them with a stopwatch and a clipboard. That I that I'm I want them to bring themselves to the 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 business and them to feel that they are making the decision. So. When I've brought people in to run companies, I'm, it's very clear that they're, if they're the MD, then they are the MD. And it's not for me to make the decisions. Um, that Their responsibility is to make the decisions. It's, it's for me to help them think about those decisions, but, but for them to actually make the step and take the plunge and do those things. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not standing in front of them. It's standing somewhere beside and next to them a little bit. So they're they feel as if they're in control of what they're doing. Um, and then, you know, the motivation bit, I think, comes from uh, understanding what, they're, what, they're, what motivates them. Uh, you, you'll have done the, the profiling tools where you sit and motivate, you sit and look what motivates people. Well, I run those profiling tools on the people that I work with um, to find out what is, what is their motivators. And if I know what their motivators are, then whatever I stick in front of them, invariably is in those top three things that switch them on. Um, any particular uh, things, the tools that you use for that? Um, so one of one of the guys that um, I work with at the moment, so um, uh, friend is really important to them. So that's the, you know, feeling that you're collaborating, that you've got a connection with people. 
So I will spend an awful lot more time uh, with him in particular, um, talking about family. You know, he's he's adopted a couple of kids, so we talk. You know, our one to ones will spend will spend quite a lot of time talking about his family and what's going on. Sadly, his father died uh, recently, and so we spent quite a lot of time about how he felt about that and what had gone on. And I lost my dad when I was very young as well. So we 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 meet as friends because yeah. I know that's really important for him. Other people I work to, it's about money. It's about how, you know, and so it's the builder part of them. So I will focus very heavily on how they can hit their numbers, how they can get, what they're going to spend the money on. It's the next car, it's the next house, whatever is, ticks their box. Then I will I will switch the conversation to what they, they, they see as their motivators. And, and which tools do you use? Vince, I mean, so I, I um, use the in, in, insights profile. I use Colorworks or, or Insight profile, as you know, which is thinking about their the style of thinking. Yeah, and then I use the the same Insight company. The um, so it's people like Carol Gaskill that you will have heard of. Yeah, I get I get her and her team to run the profiles of them, um, but I also share my motivating profiles with them as well. Okay, so they because. How they manage me, sometimes they don't manage me as well as they need to. So I have to remind them, do you remember, do you remember what my motivators are? Um, so I need, my, I need my needs met as well in these relationships. Because this relationship is two-way. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. Um, because you're right, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're, um, we're in relationships with people. And especially if you're an investor or, you know, you're a coach or... Uh, you know, it's a deep relationship, and you know that that mutuality has to be uh, has to be met. Um, it's interesting because there's there's two words that I've written down, which have been very prevalent throughout this conversation. Um, I'd just like to explore a little bit further with both of them. So, one of the words is that you've said a number of times is collaboration or collaborating. Um, I'd really be interested to know where where that value. Uh, for you comes from and what's one of your earliest memories of you 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 knowing and understanding that you were a collaborator um i think i i suppose it's come from uh you know my 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 parents ran a news agents when i was you know eight or nine and so i i lived above the shop and so i could see how my father ran that business and invariably, because it was, you know, open probably from 5.30 in the morning till 6 o'clock at night, and it was working six and a half days a week, um, you realised that my parents could not be there in the shop front all day, every day. And so I could see how my father used to give, he, he, he would give authority to other people to make decisions. I could see that in a microcosm. So I grew up in a world where, um, I, I, I lived inside a family business where I saw that happening. So it became sort of the DNA. The, I, you know, and I worked in my early career, I worked in some very large organisations and I could see people who went around pushing people around most of the time. And they might have got people to do stuff, but they weren't doing it willingly. And I, so there was a real contrast between actually uh, and how I felt about the way in which they interacted with people. So I think if you can get people to collaborate well, um, and that doesn't mean agree all the time, because mm-hmm. um, sometimes having disagreements is is, 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 is really healthy thing, and it is a healthy thing. Um, but to do it with, to disagree with, the best way to say it is, is if you're gonna disagree, do it agreeably. Um, because people, and so I think trying to create an environment where people feel as if they're heard, um, they've got a point of view that you'll listen to. Mm. Um, and that even if you, you have the perception of being in a position of power because you may have a title of MD or something like that, is, is, doesn't mean that you, you don't need to listen and you don't need to um, try and think about it from other person's point of view. Um, you've, you've got kids and, and when they were young, um, if you were late for school, you could do two things. You could shout at them 
and try and get him in the car, which which would work, but it, it's hard work and everybody gets upset. Or or you could say last one in the car is a rotten egg, and let's run and you run for it and off they yeah. they all run after you, and so you you can do that in two different ways, and it seems to me as if the the, the fun way is to get people to um, to feel as if you're 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 working alongside them and with them. Yeah, um, I, and I think sometimes there's this aspect of the human nature dictates that. Uh, and I think it's, this is definitely prevalent within the UK. Um, people love the underdog, uh, and actually, when the backs are against the wall, and we, you know, we come together as a team, we're collaborating for a common cause. Um, it's it's really interesting. The energy shifts quite dramatically. Yeah. Um, uh, so the other word that you mentioned. Um, uh, probably just slightly more than uh, collaborating was this aspect of curious and curiosity, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I, I, you know, it's interesting uh, as I've been listening to you through this uh, through this interview. I'm, I now understand why I like you so much because uh, the collaborator and the curious is, uh, you know, are very very similar to how I work and operate. Um, so it's given me some clarity, which is which is great. Um, so again, talk to us about this aspect of being curious. Um, how, you know, when did you know that you were probably more curious than other people? Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to know how your curiosity might've got you into trouble over the years. (laughs) Um, so where, where, where did it come from? I, I guess when, when I first started work, and 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 um, you 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 join a business, an organisation, and normally you get somebody to train you and give you some idea of what you're doing. My first, pretty much my first job, having turned up as a grad trainee, was was actually I was launched into a marketing department, um, and I was like the bottom of the rung. And my boss, the next level up to me, was the marketing director. There was nobody in between. The department had fractured and fallen apart. So I had a huge amount of money. I mean, millions and millions and millions of pounds to spend. And at today's rates, it would be tens of millions to spend. And I actually had no idea what I was doing. And so I had to quickly try and work out what I didn't know. And you can't do that unless you've got a spirit of curiosity about you. It's actually, what don't I know? Um, uh, and so I, having been thrown in at the deep end, um, I think that was a great grounding for me to try and work out, actually, there's a whole, I've suddenly been given the keys to the kingdom in here and I didn't know what the hell I didn't know. So I, I, I had to be curious about things because um, I had no playbook. Um, and, and because of that, I managed to work out what was going on. So I, I think I... I, my curiosity of others and learning from others and finding out what they knew um, really helped me um, navigate something that uh, really I should have I should never have been put in that position. It was it was nuts, um, but I loved the fact that I had. So I then looked for other places where I might get thrown in the deep end again, mm-hmm. and um, and see if I can work it out. So, so where has it got me into trouble? Um, it's got me into trouble uh, yeah, quite a number of times, all the time, some people would say. Um, take it, probably taking on too many things. So I can end up spinning too many plates. Yeah. Um, because I'm always curious about something that I don't know something about. Um, you know, I spoke earlier about sometimes you invest in things and you don't know what you don't know. And so I, some of my investments have crashed and burned. So I, as an example, I invested in a solar energy business because I thought this is going to be great. Solar energy, great for the planet, everything's going well. This was back before the government got involved. And they mm-hmm. started, we, I got involved with a group of people. We bought a solar energy business. And um, what, I, what I, I hadn't been... You know, I've been curious because I wanted to go into this particular market. I thought it was great. And what I really didn't realize comes back to the rules. I didn't understand the rules of the market. And the reason I didn't understand the rules of the market was because they were changing. The government were coming in. 
They were changing the way in which the feed-in tariffs worked. So the whole dynamics of the marketplace had completely changed. So I, I you know, my curiosity about being in another market uh, uh, meant that I opened the checkbook and got involved. When actually, in hindsight, I probably should have, I should have, I should have been more uh, circumspect about what I did. But hey, you know, even now I look back on it and I think sometimes, you know, what I made a decision. Uh, it didn't work out as I wanted it to work out, but but that's life, isn't it? You know, you got to. It doesn't kill you. You move on, mm. and you learn. Um. So last couple of questions. Um, there was a point that you made earlier that I just want to expand a little bit on. Um, you mentioned this aspect of what could be and not is. Okay. Just, I'd love to know, unpack that a little bit further for us. I think um, what I think what could be is that when you when you're in a a market or situation that you're in, that you you get locked into thinking in a certain way, and I'm I love you know the the archetypal uh, businesses that just suddenly sprang out of nowhere because somebody just thought in a very different way, and I you know you've. You, you look at Steve Jobs obviously comes comes up and if you look at his I think it was a Stanford presentation he talked about you can only you can't join the dots forward you can only join them backwards and so if if what could be is often in the blind spots that you can't see and so when you've got a, a business or or a sector that you're in um, I'm always fascinated by actually thinking about how you could disrupt it and change it and do it in a different way. Um, one of the uh, Vistage speakers, I remember talking about a company that produced uh, airline tyres. So you produce airline tyres, they were about 1,200 quid a pop. And after so many landings, you can get them remoulded again, 800 mm. quid a pop. And that was their business model. And somebody came up with the bright idea of let's actually not charge anybody for our tyres but let's charge them £11.50 per landing. And they did. And their market share doubled because they just looked at this in a very, very different way. And so, in fact, funny enough, one of my, my, my conversations only last Friday was with somebody in my accounts department. And most people don't think that their accounts department need to be creative. And so my challenge to the person in the creative department is say, most businesses get disrupted by thinking of a different financial model. Yeah. Let's think of a different financial model for this and let's run some modeling plans about how we could think of doing this in a very different way. So I think what could be is about, is about what sits in a space that um, Steve Jobs says, you can join the dots backwards, but you can't, and, 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 and it becomes obvious now, of course you could have Uber, of course you can have, Airbnb, or of course you can have all these companies that came from nowhere, um, and but it's because somebody thought differently. Okay, so um, we could carry on for ages, but let me leave you there with this question then: uh, what's the what's the one innovation or creativity or um, curious business that you've seen over the years? And if it's a famous one, great. If it's not, I don't mind. What's the one that you, you you've looked at and you've gone? Do you know what? I would have loved to have been involved in that one. Yes, it's a difficult one because I always think the business that I want to be involved in that might be that is the one that I need to be thinking of next. Okay. <laughs> Not the one that's gone before. So, so what's think, the one? What's the one? So, that's, what's the one that's on your mind at the moment then? So the I mean, going back to the, the area my son's in at the moment, I think many many businesses have are flooded with information and data, but they have very little insight. Um, and I think that the ability of being able to come into an organisation and cut through all of the 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 stuff that's that, that sits in front of us, the fog, the muck and bullets of what's going on, and really drill down to actually what are the levers that are making this business or this sector work, is often absent from most businesses. In my experience. Only about 20% of any market is getting about 80% of the available new business around because they've got they've connected the dots and worked something out in it. So I think a lot of businesses are 
in the dark and quite foggy about going on. So I think the ability to be able to create products which help them create much better visibility for actually what they can't see because it's hidden, I think is quite an interesting space to be in. And I'm not quite sure um, what format that would take, but I'd be quite, I'm quite interested in, in, in looking for problems that I have in my business or I see in other people's business and saying, how do I create a solution? How would I understand what's happening there? And I mm. think like in, like in many businesses, there are symptoms and causes. And often we deal with the symptoms, we don't understand what the cause is that sits behind it. So if we can get, if we could create a business methodology or tool to be able to get to and understand what the symptoms are of actually what's preventing businesses from doing what they need to do, how valuable would that be? And and I think you're right. I think the challenge is a lot of the time is, is that um, the business leaders don't give themselves permission to have the time and the space to just wonder, to just be curious, to just uh, gather any information and then sit down and just uh, to analyse it and um, ask the right question. Um, Vince. How many people um, have the best ideas coming back from holiday when they haven't been working? Oh, uh, or as a good friend of mine, David Heiner, future um, guest on the show, uh, sometimes you just need to have a cave day. Just need to take yourself away, um, uh, and just just wonder, just just think. Um, Vince, we could carry on. Um, I, I want to leave it there. Um, I, I, but I, I just want to leave you with one last thing. Um, I think I've come up with your new tagline. Okay. Uh, Vince Tickle, the curious collaborator. <laughs> Love it. I'll stick yeah. it on me. I'll stick it on me emails. There we go, uh, Vince. Um, Many, many thanks. Uh, we will make sure that um, all your details are uh, below um, so that people can contact you and reach out. I, I I knew that it was going to be a great conversation. I didn't know where it was going to go. Um, but I'm really glad it's gone this way because I think you picked up on a couple of really, really interesting points. Um, definitely this aspect of being curious, uh, the aspect of collaboration. Um, and I think for me, the golden nugget was this aspect of even if after a period of time when you're sitting down with somebody is to use uh, and you you identify that you they are not going to be the person that you're going to employ is to always be hiring and asking them uh for who within their organization that is absolute gold dust um and i'm sure everybody listening to it is now sitting there going thank you very much for that one mr tickle um Vince, thank you very much. My name is Adam Harris. I am the host and curator of the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. If you've liked this, please listen to some of the other uh, ones that we've done. Uh, and also, all I would ask is just send this out and promote it and send it through to one other person that you think will take value from listening to it. I will see you next time on the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>